I'm Bianca Vivion, and this is Ask Viv. My, my, my. My, 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 my. Welcome to episode 34. It's always such a pleasure and a blessing to sit down with you all, my old and new and true friends. I always know when I'm really ready for this process because as soon as I do the intro, I feel an exhale and I think I've got something to say now. This anxiety that I feel sometimes with the pressing questions of life, namely and foremost, who am I becoming? Can I maintain who I was? Is the person I see before me now who I've always been? And can I give her room to break out of all the things I never was, all the things I tried to be, sometimes out of pretense to gain or achieve something, and sometimes just out of ignorance and not knowing what was real, sometimes out of foolish yet wishful thinking. And it's so hard because as I inch out so slowly and honestly a lot of times unwillingly into a public persona, I realize I can't help but feel the gap between who I'm perceived to be and who I really am. And Ask Viv always feels like a a homecoming, an odyssey, a return to what's real. Because when I began this journey, it was because I had something to say, to know that no matter what, all I had to do was have an open heart and an open mind and speak my peace. And that's been enough. But now I'm in this new industry in a world that I've never been and I can't fiend arrogance or sophistication. I've been stumbling in and out of everything that I've done over the past six months, stumbling, guessing, cause it's a struggle and it's a heartbreak. And it's hard because people ask me often, how's shooting, how's filming, how's this, how's that? And I, I wanna just keep it real. I say, it's a struggle. I say it's a labor of love, heavy on the labor. But I didn't realize how much people carry their own perceptions of possibility. And when you do something that feels to them impossible or beyond their wildest imaginations, they put that dream on you. It's harder and harder to convey my own humanity and the vicissitudes and the changes that come every day with my own emotions. People want you to be their everything and they want you to be the carrier of their dreams, their role model. And then I gotta be 25. And I didn't realize, you know, I thought if I just keep putting myself out there, if I just place myself in the real, that will have to be embraced. But I see now people need something larger than life. And on the flip side of that, coming into union and meeting more personalities and people than I've ever met at any time in my life, just constantly meeting people and they're all so different and they all have such different stories and backgrounds and it's been nothing short of crazy overstimulation. For a while, I couldn't handle it. 
And at one point, it broke me down so badly. The overstimulation, the exhaustion, the projection, the congratulations, and the envy. It broke me. It was breaking me. All of the weight of the irreality was crushing the real me. When I finally slowed down a bit, was done with the meetings and shot my first pilot and was traveling and going, going, going. And when I finally lay down, I don't think I got out of bed for three or four days and that's what's real. And it was partially exhaustion, but it was also an acute feeling of all the suffering that had compounded over the last four years of trying to make this dream happen. I asked myself, is this what it all comes down to? Was this the dream? And I talked to a friend, my good friend Cherry, who is always such, such the voice of reason. And she told me, she said, Bianca, who you really are, who you know so well, better than most people will ever know themselves, is so different than who people perceive you to be upon first meeting you, and even maybe after knowing you a long while. And that is a kind of suffering because you are going to be treated according to the perception of that person not according to who you really are. And I said, well, how do I relieve that suffering? How do I span that gap? And she said two words to me that is the basis of today's episode that I want to share with you. She said, give grace. And I sat those two words and they became the hand that got me out of bed and the stepladder that walked me out of the hole that I had fallen into. And then they became the strength. I gathered them in my hands and I began to look anew at my situation. And I thought, give grace. How relevant, how potent, how important it is that we give grace. The dream I had for this show, Ask Viv, it was the dream I wanted to evolve and carry into generational anxiety. It's the dream I have for films that I've written, ideas that I have. The dream was to make love real. The dream was unity and tenderness. It was insight and foresight. It was growing up and getting along and being together. And that's a whole lot of real loose change kind of dreams. You know, it's not a Tesla truck or a 43rd floor penthouse apartment. It's just me stringing together some good things that would come together and make people think and make people feel. And I said, that's what's real. But I realized that's what's real to me. A producer comes into that dream and their dream is to produce, meaning their dream is to execute, to bring something into the world. Publicist dream, I heard recently, get you in the news, keep you out of the news, get you on the front page, keep you off the front page. And then you have the guest and the people who choose to participate in your dream. And I'm thinking these people want a revolutionary conversation. They want love and good things, but sometimes it's not about a dream. Sometimes it's about an agenda. And I realized that this thing that I conceived of in my head, that I walked through every single day for four years and sacrificed for and suffered deeply and acutely for and grew up for and loved for and strived for, and it lived in my head. But when I began to bring it into the world, it was no longer my own. And it was beautiful to see so many people 
It is beautiful to see so many people coming together, having hopes for what was once a dream that was just my own. But as hands get in the pot, so many hands reaching for what they feel is theirs, grasping for their dream within my dream, I felt like if they keep taking, somebody's gonna have to go without. But then these words, so crystal clear and brilliant, like a grandmother's embrace, say, give grace. And in my own mind, translate to make room, make room, translate to let it go, translate to find a way to live. And what does it mean really to give grace? Because it's so different. You know, I've said so many times, when you have been raised in the evangelical Christian tradition that embraces suffering, which we don't do in Islam. And it says, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek. And I've said so often to turn the other cheek is to look away. But then you think there has to be another option between being oblivious to your own suffering or being combative to those who cause it. There's gotta be a middle ground that gives some leeway, some freedom to understand how much weight people can put on you, how much they can punish you for who they think you are, and yet a way to keep living. And I told my therapist the other day, I told her I need a new war strategy. She's like, what does that mean? I say, I can't keep coping, coping, all my life coping. Some of you are broke, but coping, heartbroken, but coping, hungry, but coping, exhausted, but coping. I said, I'm tired of coping. I want to live. And above all, giving grace is a war strategy because we are warring, because I am warring. And if it's not warring against the, the constant threat of violence in this country, if it's not warring against the cruel and ungenerous perceptions and projections and words of others, sometimes who we love, then we're warring against the self so constantly and incessantly, warring sometimes to destroy ourselves because we can't stand the image in the mirror or the weight of our own thoughts or the plight of our own circumstances and the hand we're dealt, and sometimes warring to save ourselves because we so deeply love who we are and dream of who we might become. And it's a war, all of it. And I hadn't understood the extent to which it was a war. And so, so much of my disappointment and my heartbrokenness at the culmination of this grand moment of my life where I say, was this the dream? Was the foolish perception that I was at a finish line? When in reality, all the time that I've spent prior the time we've spent together thinking, dreaming, strategizing on what to do and where to go, what to say and who we might become was merely preparation for a long war, which I am entering now and feel the weight of that responsibility because now I have to be who I really am. Now I've got to do what I've really got to do. And leeway I had when I was younger to throw a rock and then hide my hand, to be a little bit of who I was and then shy away from it, to stand tall and then find myself shrinking, to be who I knew myself to be in my own mind, in my own heart, 
and yet still trying to stretch and fit into the image that others had of me. I don't have that leeway anymore. It doesn't mean that those perceptions and projections and expectations went away, but it means now I have to leave them where they lie because there's a war. And I would love to think that this is so purely philosophical. And I do believe as above, so below, that everything is rooted in the spiritual world. And I believe in the concept of jihad, which means struggle, but there's also real war going on in my country right now. People struggling to eat, violence, perpetual, unceasing, terrifying. Women have lost the right to their own bodies and reproductive health. It's a war. And in many ways, for so long, I had something to say so desperately. I had a charge, I had a cause. And I thought that if I could just talk some sense into people, love one another, knowledge is power, I would live in those old adages and I would bring people some kind of relief. And I thought it would be so simple because very foolishly I believed that at least amongst those who looked like me, who came from the places I came from, who talked the way I talked, that we would at least agree upon that much. But in the last few months, I've been awakened to the depth of misery and self-loathing, the longing and real suffering that exists within so many of us that I see now that it's going to be a real struggle to do what I have to do to be who I really am. And so while I'm figuring out this convoluted and complex task before me, not just how to configure a dream, not just how to make a mark, but how to win a war, both the ancient one inside of me that I've been fighting that seems like it's the same one my mother and my grandmother and my sisters and many before me fought, but the one outside of me that seems to change its rules and its tactics by the day, then at least for those around me, those who try to manipulate me, those who try to make me feel small, those who attempt to make me feel ugly or those who make me feel ashamed for being beautiful, those who think I'm larger than life and those who think I'm not much at all, at least in that battle, I'll give grace because now there's too much to do and too many running lists and thoughts in my head, too much warring. This has been a time of learning where to pick my battles, to say, okay, things are not as they seemed. Many, many people are not who they claim to be and the tenderness and wholeness and love that I thought would be present in certain places, it is not there and I'll deal straight up with the facts. But at least let me build a home that is a place of tenderness, embrace, care, and warmth for me. At least let me share my bed only with those who are truly on my side 
and not outright against me as they were when I was younger, but also not riding the fence, not simply there to enjoy me or watch me climb out of the holes that I often and inevitably fall into, at least let me choose a lover that'll be an ally and not just a bystander, and definitely not an enemy, at least when words rear their ugly heads saying you're not enough or you can't or you're too small or too broke you've fallen too short or you've come too late at least let me be the one to say that's not true i've still got time i am equipped i am capable at least let me be present at least let my own mind not get the best of me and in my way at least let me look in the mirror and have a kind word to say about myself before I walk out that door. Awaken to the knowledge of what everyone thinks of a body that only I must live in. At least let me not make an enemy of myself. If I've got a war, I've got a war. I stayed in bed long enough and awoke to the reality that I am warring, that we are warring daily in a world that I'm not so convinced anymore is not ending. We are warring to stay young, to stay hopeful, to stay alive, to stay grounded in some meaning and some truth amongst all of the irreality that exists around us, the mirage, the facades, the projections. We're warring. So at least let me strive for some peace here in my own company amongst myself at the very least. And for the ones who don't understand, for the ones who don't see where I'm coming from but have to watch where I'm going, I'll give grace. Because it's a hard thing to see those who you love fall. But I can't imagine how much harder it is to see those you no longer love rise. I can't relate to that fate. So I'm giving grace. A whole lot of it as I walk this new walk into this new part of my life. And that grace is giving me rest and it's giving me time and it's giving me room to breathe and to grow and to dance and to feel deeply. It's allowing me to cease the mourning and to forgive. That's what it's doing for me. And suddenly the 10,000 perceptions, some wonderful, brilliant and capable that paint me to be more than I am and someone I might hope to be. And then the 10,000 perceptions that are so demeaning and loveless, cruel and base that paint me to be someone I've never known that I likely would not like. And I give grace and I pivot on the dream and I step outside of tomorrow for just a little bit to live in today. I pivot on the fantasy of the way I thought things would be and I start to embrace what they really are. And I've buried the heartbreak that the shortcoming of the fantasy caused me because who I really am is someone so capable in ways I don't even know yet. So capable. And I have eyes that see so clearly now what's important so far from the fantasies 
of excess, wealth, grandiosity, power, influence, sex and manipulation that I conceived of at 15 years old. Success now to make good things that come from a good place, deep within the soul of a good person, which I am. And I would ask myself, if I can't have this dream, or if dreams are not what they appear, then what will I have? I have no shortage of love. I have the pride of my parents to see the dream they had of being entertainers and directors and actors and personalities. They see it alive in me. I have the best friends a person could ask for. I have my sisters and my brother, and we are growing up. I have my home, rooms wide and expansive, decorated by my own hand, and it feels like home, really home. I have romantic notions and a wide open mind for possibility. I have a crazy vocabulary and a good education. But even if all of that was to disappear tomorrow, I have God and I have the dream he has for me which I have not seen through yet, and I have no doubts will be more than I thought it would be. And when I think of the knowledge of what I really have with a knowing of who I really am, I give grace. I give grace. I give grace, and I hope I get better as this journey goes on of giving grace as people talk past me and not to me. As I find myself in front of a teleprompter, nervous and more ineloquent than I ever knew I could be, I hope I give grace. There are going to be many times in our lives where people treat us according to who they are. And we ask them, we beg them, we plead for them to enter into our realities because we want compassion. And that's real. And we so desire love. And that's real. But people are living in their own realities. Many, many people, too many people in this world now spend 99% of their time coping. Coping with inflation. Coping with the lack of work. Coping with rising rent. Coping with single parenthood. Coping with aging coping with lovelessness. So if you're one of those people that's still striving and still hoping and still trying to love, know that you are better off already than so many people and give grace. And I'm not saying this because I'm so elegant, because for me, it's a fight against the lower parts of myself. I'm not saying this because it's easy. It takes what it has always taken, which I've always asked of you, and that's courage. It takes courage. That's my war strategy. And I don't know, after all this time, if that's the message you needed, but baby, it's the message I needed. And it's the medicine I'm living on these days that gets me up and keeps me on. I wish you that courage. Now let's get into these questions because I know that's your favorite part. 
Dear Viv, do you suggest calling up and airing out grievances you had with a past lover who you can't seem to forgive? I'm angry at myself and I'm angry at him for pretending to care and truly I want him to hear it. But a part of me also feels like maybe I should just move on. How do I deal with the immense regret of letting someone close to me when I know I shouldn't have? You know why it's really cruel to hit children? And bear with me because I promise I'm going somewhere. When I was a kid, my dad, he would get really angry when we would say something out of turn or talk back or forget to do a chore or, you know, just make life a little bit more difficult for him in whatever way. And he would try to wield this iron fist and punish us. He wanted to punish us. And he wanted to punish us because he was working under the assumption, the wrong assumption, that we knew better, that we should have known better. But we were new to the world. So even if in theory we should have known, remember to do your dishes, remember to take out the trash. Don't fight with your sisters. Don't talk back to your mother. We knew these things because we were told, but we didn't understand responsibility because we didn't understand that the responsibility that we had, the chore or the way we spoke or the way we talked, it was not to the act itself. It was about the relationship relationships that we had with one another. We didn't understand that in order for a household to function, everyone had to have a sense of responsibility to one another because we did not really have a concept of family. And we suffered for this for years because we were always warring with one another to get the last word or make the point. Inconveniences we caused one another or she stole my dress or whatever, whatever. And we had no allegiance or knowledge of the unit of family. So of course we betrayed it at every turn. And how could we have known? Neither of my parents grew up in loving, peaceful, tender, safe, functional, familial, domestic environments. Many, many people, black people in this country, many people in general have generations of warring in the household. They don't know any better, which is why now I'm so close with my father. I'm so close with my sisters. I'm so close with my mother. I give a lot of grace because it's through Islam and reading the Quran and watching friends I have that grew up in cooperative, loving, loyal families, watching them and literally writing things down and through observation and osmosis and glean and hoping I said this is the dream I now have for my family so when I get into situations with my siblings or my parents and we run into these strains and the struggles and the battles of life I try to give them grace because what we're doing is we're trying intentionally for the very first time all of us well into our adult lives to be a family and to have a family, that which none of us had ever known before. And it is a struggle and it is a war. Why do I say this to your question? One, you end this question saying, how did I let someone get close to me when I should have known better? How would you have known better? The only way that we know better is to live. We trek through this thing experientially, meaning some things, it's not intuition, 
It's not intellect. You gotta live it. And what's nice about the living is it's how we earn the wisdom. It's why we can become aunties and mothers and grandmothers and say, let me tell you a little about living. It's through experiences like this. But I also mentioned this story to say, what are the chances? And I mean, it would have been a fair, you would have been one in maybe a million that you got with some young man and he was so intentional and so aware of himself and so aware of you how wonderful you are and beautiful and loving and funny and good. And he said, I am going to intentionally neglect and misuse and hurt this person because I know everything that she is capable of and I want to use and extract that to the full extent for my own gain and then discard her. It's hard when we love people because when we love somebody, the inclination, especially with romantic love especially with puppy love and first love is to make that person larger than life because they make us feel so alive and they make us feel so capable of more than we thought we were capable of but the thing that is hard about that is when they leave or when things fall apart as they so often do then it's hard to shrink them back down to size and say hey it was just a man hey it was just a woman living star-crossed lovers passing each other once in this lifetime no we can't have that sense of groundedness because the romance and sometimes the sex it makes us so delirious that we think no this person had my whole life in their hands and they fumbled it and they should be punished sometimes oftentimes i would even say People know no better about what they were doing or where they went wrong in love than I did as a child, forgetting to take out the trash or do the dishes. They don't understand loyalty. They don't understand commitment. They don't understand allegiance. They don't understand sacrifice or faith or communication. A lot of times people weren't raised to, and they don't double back to do the work to re-raise themselves. I'm not going to tell you don't air out your grievances, because I can't tell you how many letters I've written or voice notes I've sent or calls I've made in the midnight hour. Did it help? Maybe in the moment. Maybe it felt like I had a little bit more control over a train that was running away from me the whole time. Maybe it felt like I was scrounging for a last bit of dignity or pride because I thought that's what dignity and pride were. Thought it was in the last word. I thought it was in some long, long diatribe about what I deserve and what I brought to the table and who I was and who the hell do you think you are? But it didn't give me any peace. And I found that after everything was said and done, it still took years to resolve the hurt and the pain that was left in the wake of these grandiose loves. And what I really needed, what I really needed was a healthy dose of perspective. I had a friend called me up recently, was having some love troubles. She's feeling it deep. She's going through it. She's down bad. And we're talking about her lover. And I'm kind of trying to put everything in its right context. I'm trying to bring this person back down to size to say they're not larger than life. They're not holier than thou. They're also not the worst thing in the world. They're just a person. And I know that she's getting away from me a bit because she says, yeah, but B, I love him. I love him. And I feel 
weak right now. I feel weak, like I can't stand my ground. And I said, no, you're making yourself weak so that you don't have to do what needs to be done. I know her to be a strong person with great resolve, with a firm stance on most things and more than enough bass in her voice when she needs it. But we don't wanna do the hard thing. We don't want to do the hard thing. And so we make ourselves feeble and weak and mentally compromised because we know the answers to the questions that dwell inside of us. We know when things are over. We know when things are at an impasse. We know when things are too heavy to bear. We know we rather war on the outside than cease the warring on the inside with the answers that we know. So I say to herself, I said, honey, you have three options. One, you tell him how you feel. He acknowledges what you say, you all work through it, you grow stronger, you get better, you honor your own voice, you keep living, you're loved, you're happy, you're whole. I said option number two, you tell him how you feel, he completely rejects, disregards, neglects, and diminishes it. You have to end things, you honor your own voice, you're single, you're happy, you're loved, you're whole. Number three, you swallow your own intuition, you suppress it until you deeply resent him and yourself. You're crushed under the weight of the things that you did not say until it brings you to an impossible breaking and impasse where this relationship will not ever be salvaged, not even into a friendship. Good love is lost and you spend months, if not years, trying to regain yourself in what you lose of this process of self-compromise. I said, those are your three choices. But I said, what you're doing now, you're already choosing the third. You're making a choice. You're already making a choice. So I flip that on its head and I give you the same options. I say, you call him, you air out your grievances and give him a piece of your mind. Go full Angela Bassett waiting to exhale, but you're left with yourself and you put it all on the table and he still doesn't love you and he doesn't care. Option number two, you give him a piece of your mind and he apologizes and says those words, I'm sorry, you're right, I should have been a better man, I fell short, how could I do this to you, how could I do this to us? And he wants you back, and you end up back in the arms of someone that you know is not right for you, but at least now you don't have to be alone. Number three, call up your homegirl, you go to your favorite, favorite restaurant, and you sit down, and you air out everything you would have said to him, but say it to her and someone sits there and they agree with you and they emphasize every single part of the story, your favorite parts, and the peanut gallery adds in commentary and you laugh at how foolish you've been and you cry later when you're by yourself at how foolish you've been and you make a decision, I'll never do that again. <laughs> and you pick yourself up, walk with your back straight, chin up, because you're more grown now than you were before. And that's a wonderful and beautiful, loving and sexy thing. You're grown now and you take some time for yourself. Be curious about her and get to know her. Work for her a bit. Let her be in the world. Not looking and searching and snatching and clinging for other people, but just be with her. Sit with her. Forgive her, but also apologize to her because she was ignorant of how wonderful she was. <laughs>
You were giving away something you had no clue the value of it. So how could he have known? Forgive yourself for being young and foolish. And when you take that time and you linger with her and walk with her and hold her hand and love her for a little while, then when love comes as it always comes again, because life can be so forgiving and so curiously wondrous, then not all at once, but slowly take that person you love so much with all of the wisdom that she has warred for through these foolish years and take her hands and place them into the hands of a better man who will walk with her and love her like you love her. But I'm asking you to have a little courage now. Have a little courage to be okay. Have a little courage to be more curious about the future than you are about the past. Have a little courage to let it go. Have a little courage to be alone and single and lonely for a little bit. Don't go taking the baggage from one person and putting it onto another. Write your letters and then burn them. Send your voicemails and then block the number. But move on. Move on for me, who you love so much. Even if you can't move on for you, who you don't yet love enough. If you'll do me that favor on credit, I promise you, the woman you're going to become will double back and thank you. I'll thank you because we need more women with the courage to move on. Dear Viv, I have a crush on someone and continue to long for them. I wonder how it feels for a man to care about you. I've never been in a relationship before, though I'm almost 27. I also don't feel good enough for them and wish I was more. I wish I was just a better person all around. Funnier, cuter, cooler, smarter, more grounded. Have you ever felt this way? Let me tell you something as someone who suffered for most of my adult life. I had dream girl syndrome, which I just made that up. So if you ever hear it anywhere again, know you heard it here first. I wanted to be what someone wanted. The thing about me though, is that I am so determined and so formidable that I have always been able to become exactly what someone else wanted. It didn't matter how much each lover differed from one to the other in color, creed, height, size, occupation, age. I was able to, like a chameleon, a very desperate chameleon shift myself to be the object of desire for each man that I love. And what that was, was a massive waste of time. Honey, it's a waste of time because all of that energy I spent into honing their perfect idea of sexiness, their perfect idea of beauty, their perfectly funny girl or necessarily quiet or reserved or uncritical or unthinking. Typically, it was not about being more of anything. It was always about being less of myself. I always had to be more subdued, more conservative, quieter or less thinking than I truly am. Because sad to say, there are just so many men, they don't wanna compete with women. And for a long time, that was not even a thought. 
because women were not breadwinners and women were not change makers and women were seen and not heard. So it wasn't a thought that you might have to compete with a woman. But yet these men were not making it easier to live my life. So it really did not give me any incentive to shrink. I remember I would be with a guy, he'd be like, oh, well, if you were just a little bit more of this, if you were a little bit less of this, then we could be together and you wouldn't have to worry about a thing. But that day never came. And the day never came where I never had to worry about a thing. And you know what? Something in me, just a small gleaning of this very young and incomplete womanhood tells me that day is never going to come. And the reason I stopped trying to be a dream girl was not just because of the sheer exhaustion and the frailty of that occupation, how weak and often lifeless and truly boring it was to just show up and be what someone wants, to be a showgirl. And I don't knock the women who do it, and I know many of them, but I've got a lead. I have things to say. I have large, enigmatic, enterprising, deep thoughts about the way that things should go. And I'm gonna set this shit up according to the vision that lives in my mind. Why? Because concurrent to and outside of and during each and every one of these love affairs where I was striving to be what such and such wanted, I still was laboring to get and to be and to do what I needed to do for myself. I've learned partnership is many things. It is adventurous. It is fun and strange and lovely. I mean, truly dating is lovely, but it didn't give me permission or save me from the hard things, the war that I wore every day. It won't save me from it. And I think for the first time in my life, I'm not asking it to. Now I wanna be more than I've ever been, but only so far as is required for the dream that lives inside of me. I want to be smarter and faster and stronger and better. I wanna learn more. I wanna get deep into the intricacies of my craft. I wanna learn how to act. I wanna learn how to do even more intricate oil portraits. I wanna learn how to drive stick shift. I wanna be more financially savvy and better with numbers and markets. I wanna be slimmer and stronger and be able to throw my own weight around and dance better for me because that's the love affair that I'm most invested in now. And it's the only one that really has ever truly paid me dividends on every moment I invested in it. If you wanna become a chameleon and change and be and do things for men, go right ahead. But the truth is oftentimes, I felt the person I was sitting in front of a lot of the men that I've dated, it was going right over their heads. Like even if they thought, wow, I'm dating a pretty impressive woman, they really couldn't have understood the amount of time and energy that truly, truly goes into being me. And why would they? I feel like one day when I come across the soulmate to end all soulmates, I mean, not just one more star-crossed lover, but a real, that's my man. He'll know 
and understand like God will give him revelatory knowledge of what it's taken for me to be who I truly am. And so he will want to love every inch and weaving and microcosm of who I am. But I feel like I will be able to do the same for him. But to do that just for men that you are experiencing and enjoying, it's a waste of your time. And if you're 27 years old and have already had the fortitude and gift of skipping that, of all the dating I did in my early 20s of just trying to be what someone wanted, what someone liked, because I wanted to be liked so badly, you have the opportunity to begin with the self to know her and to craft her and to love her and you'll save yourself the heartache of trying to objectify yourself and then transform that object like some rubik's cube twisting and twisting and twisting until you codify into something that is all the right color for the right person or worse yet constantly living in the comparison of yourself with other women who you perceive are that thing that is wanted. Let me tell you something about being desired. Let me tell you something about the way that these women spend their days. You all know the women that I'm talking about, the ones that you see getting wined and dined and shipped and flewed out from coast to coast and Turks and Caicos. And you're perceiving, you said, these women are really living. Now let me tell you something as someone who knows these women and is in company often with these women. In real life, these women are running out of time because when you are living to please men and trying to make sure that you are fit enough and pretty enough and prim and perfect and quiet and subdued enough to be the object of enjoyment or entertainment for men, you have to exploit the very, very small window of time you have to extract as much as you can from those men in that window to be able to afford yourself a certain kind of lifestyle or opportunities for growth and expansion to last you the rest of your life because you have spent a critical window of your youth, your brain power, on something that is such a risky bet. And I'm telling you this as someone who is friends with women who are 45 with two and three children who spent their 20s and 30s trying to just be what a man wanted. They don't have retirement plans. They don't have safety nets. They don't have security. Even the ones that are locked and keyed and welded to marriage do not have any sense of personal security. And oftentimes, oftentimes don't even really have self-esteem because nothing in this world is theirs because even the bodies that they worked and sculpted and shaped and shifted to no end is not their own it was a means to an end imagine having your body your mind your fashion choices your dietary choices a means to an end to be chosen by a man who can very well and they very often do wake up and discard you and you treated yourself like a doll like a dream girl but now he has another dream or finds a younger doll 
And I'm talking to you with serious words now, and it's sad. And I'm not somebody that puts myself in the judgment seat of other people's lifestyles. But I also know that I am afforded because of my vantage, because of my beauty, because of the industry that I work in and the place I live and the lifestyle I live. I see it with both eyes open. I see how these women live. And I have to tell you the way that it really is because a lot of you all live in such a cornered vantage of seeing what they want you to see and how they want you to see it. And you see the price, but you have no idea the cost of wanting to be more, more, more for these men that are often so lost, so godless and so deeply insatiable that they don't know the, the value of one singular woman at all. <laughs> be more on your own side. Be more curious about yourself. Get smarter, be more honest, be more caring, be more loving, be, be a better friend. But what I'm asking you more than anything in this moment is be realistic. And if you're longing for a man, then reach out to that man, just reach out. We have got to take down the barrier that makes men these inaccessible and strange creatures of the night. They're not. I know that for some of you, it might feel crazy to go up to a man in a bar. It feels crazy to jump in a man's DMs. It feels crazy to ask a man, hey, would you wanna go out sometime? As many relationships as I have that were a product of men pursuing me, I have just as many relationships and they were better to be honest. The better ones were the ones where I pursued the man because when you live and walk scared through life, then everything that you get in this life is a product of what other people desire for you. That's why it's important to pursue who and what you desire. Because if not, you'll be looking at someone you didn't really want, a job you didn't really want to get. You don't have to live with the leftovers. You can get exactly what you desire. And sometimes it's more than you thought it would be. And sometimes it is what it is. But you gotta be a little bit braver and a lot more realistic about demanding things from life and demanding the best of yourself for yourself and not living in this irreality in which some women, those women are more, more, more and they're being loved so well and treated and courted everywhere around the world women the tens the twenties the fives the ones nobody is thinking of the ones that everyone is liking and worshiping at their feet a lot of them a lot of us are being deeply mistreated because we have a serious lack of self-worth that is seriously way too deeply invested in what others think of us. And we, you, me, us, her, are living in a constant battle with delusion, thinking that you can shape yourself into a product to be purchased, consumed, and pedestaled that will then be preserved and also being able to experience at the same time real, earth-shattering, groundbreaking, God-filled love. You gotta be real, sis. You gotta get real. I hope you get real, real fast, because there is a war against reality going on. 
and it's making us destroy ourselves, destroy our bodies, destroy our minds, whittle us down until we feel numbed, unworthy, unable to act. That is the point of all of this irreality and the delusion that they sell us constantly is they want us to feel like we have to buy something or be something in order to live freely. That we have to be a certain size or a certain look or a certain sound or a certain education or a certain pedigree in order to obtain love? Love? Which you used to be able to get from the front porch? You used to be able to get around the way at the park? at the grocery store, at the church. Now it costs all that. It's gonna cost me myself now? Is that the lie they're telling? Is that the lie we're buying? That there's a, a million men on earth and none of them are gonna love anything but a size six? That I gotta be shaped like a Bratz doll? I gotta have a 23 waist and a 43 hips and a no sagging breast and a small nose? I gotta talk in a demure voice? That I can't correct somebody when they say, irregardless that i have to be a little bit ignorant towards the things that matter that i have to be a little bit less political that i have to be a little bit quieter that i need to be wholly submissive but also don't ask for anything because then i'm a gold digger you gotta get real you gotta you gotta get real we we all have to we all have to commit to warring against these complete delusions about what it takes to love and what it takes to live a good life. The old hood adage, you don't gotta lie to kick it. Get real, sis. Dear Viv, have you ever felt like you're the problem or to blame for something ending or for someone else's pain? How do you process that and forgive yourself for it? We've both hurt each other, but now that the smoke is clearing, I feel like I'm mostly blaming myself. I'm sure I've hurt many people. And I don't say that because I'm evil or malicious or unkind, but I just know you can't live with the kind of resoluteness I live with and not hurt people. I will, in the middle of someone's dream fantasy, thinking that they have plans with me, I'll pivot and leave. And I will try to give as clear of an explanation as possible, but typically I will only do that once. And if I truly care about you, I'll do it twice. But I'm not even someone that you can call up 10,000 times and ask what went wrong, because I won't answer, because I've got to live. Why do I say this? I refuse to make an enemy of myself on someone else's behalf, no matter what I did to them, no matter what I've done. If any of you are trying to do anything important, anything, whether you're trying to become a doctor, whether you're trying to raise a child, whether you're trying to be an asset to your community or participate in your church or your mosque or whatever, if you're trying to even be a student, if you're trying to do something serious, you need a singularity of mind to do it. That is probably one of the most critical components of success in life is singularity of mind. It is very difficult when you are betraying your own mind to act on and make important decisions. Because you'll say, oh, I'm going here. No, actually, I'm going there. Oh, it's this way. Actually, it's the other way. You will never be able to go forward at the pace and power that you desire if you are double-minded. And the best way to be double-minded 
is to have to live in your own self-perception and someone else's perception of you as well. It does not work. It cannot work. It will not work. And it makes me a bit ruthless, to be honest, because one thing that people have tried to do more so when I was younger, less so now, because I think this was a challenge and a test for me growing up, is they wanted to tell me about myself and my character. This is something anybody that has siblings will understand because your siblings love to tell you you're this kind of person. Your family in general loves to be like, this is you. And sometimes it is the most unkind and worst portrait of yourself. And you're thinking, am I really like that? And they will have critical evidence and pinpoint what you said or what you did. And they'll try to tie you to that post of guilt and say, live there. At some point, in order to feel like a real authentic person out in the world that was not tethered to my past decisions, to my conduct, behavior, and past relationships that did not end well, to sever myself from that person, I had to learn to apologize. To really apologize, meaning sought repentance. I am sorry, and I am not going to do this again. To the best of my ability, I will avoid ever causing you this kind of hurt or pain again. Remission. How would you suppose I fix this? How do we remedy the situation? Third, reconciliation. How do we reconcile and come together in unity and continue to walk forward in life? Sometimes reconciliation was when we went our separate ways. But the final part that people truly don't even know that this is probably the most important part of an apology is I apologize. I apologize. Because when I say those words, if I say those words, I believe those words. And if I believe those words and have gone through admittance, remission, reconciliation, then I am off the hook. I'm off the hook. I am off the hook. Because to be honest, being a Muslim, and I've, I've shared this with you all many times, the singular most important quality that is mentioned about God throughout the Quran more than anything is the concept of Ar-Rahman. Rahman means mercy. It's so in God's nature to be merciful that he forgives you before you even really repent. And once you repent, it's as if it never happened at all. So if the very nature and essence more than any other quality of the highest being, the almighty God is mercy, then why am I going to kill myself and strain to earn your good graces after I have truly and sincerely in humility apologized to you, you? who's just someone just like me. I refuse to make an enemy of myself via a process of making a God over someone else when my actual God has let it go. I just won't. And honestly, in some of my closer relationships, people do view me as more cavalier because of this. People desire, especially the more important they perceive you, the more they love you, they desire for you to harp. They want you to feel bad for as long as they feel bad about it. And I actually understand. I give grace for that. And I hope thinking back at how long I was vengeful and hateful towards my old lovers, I hope they forgave themselves 
sooner than I did because I could hold a grudge. I could hold a grudge. I mean, for they would have had to be suffering maybe to this day. And so in that, I give people a lot of grace. I understand you want to be mad in and out of time until you're done being mad. But the thing about others and the way that they hold us to account supposedly, supposedly for our actions is that someone will make you pay not just for what you did to them, but it will be compounded onto all the other things that other people ever did to them. And they'll make you, who is the singular person present, responsible for all of that hurt. So you're not just responsible for your infidelity or your betrayal shortcoming you have, you will be responsible for their mother, their father, their old lovers, their brother, their cousin, their teacher. And that's too much for anyone. That's too much. I can't give myself grace in that situation. I think about it every day because I know how much my parents punish themselves for certain shortcomings that they have had as parents. And at a certain point in time, I said, I don't want to be the person who is a fully functioning, capable and, su capable and successful adult still making these elderly people pay for the shortcomings of my childhood. At some point, someone's got to have the courage to be okay. It's gonna be me every time. Why? I have things to do. If I'm making an enemy of myself, there is no Ask Viv. If I'm making an enemy of myself, there are no plans. There is no romance waiting for me. There is no lovely vacation coming up. There are no good things to look forward to because wherever I go, I am going to be suffering. I'm gonna be having a good time and thinking, do I even deserve to have a good time? Do I even deserve this love? I had to let so many people go that at some point helped me or sat down with me or brainstormed or shook my hands. Of course, not everyone can make it to the credits. And I'm sure some people feel a type of way. There's a book that was gifted to me recently that I love. It's called The Courage to Be Disliked. I encourage everyone to read it. It's by two Japanese philosophers who talk about how much making peace with the fact that people will have their hangups about you. They'll have their reluctancies. They'll have their stories of your bad days or whatever shortcoming or wrong that you did them. And you still have to learn how to live. And if you're talking about a romantic relationship in which you're both wrought with guilt over what you've done and that person has forgiven you and you've forgiven them but you haven't forgiven yourself personally i would let it go because that's no way to live and there are certain points in life where you have to decide can we truly start anew can we truly walk forward and sometimes someone will walk forward with us but the strain and the weight of what's been done is too much to carry it's not to say that somewhere along the line life is kind and we begin to forget and things fade away but waking up with the sting of wrong every day having to be nervous about where you go and who you talk to not trusting yourself it's too much it's too much this life is so precious and so fleeting it's passing us by even now and we can sit around and keep ourselves from happiness that we feel we no longer deserve or we can live and i am so protected and strengthened in my mind of knowing that there is an infallible god who gives grace every single day 
for all of the ways that I fall short. People will hold it against you for years if you forget their birthday once. Kids will hold it against you if you miss the Little League game, if you don't go to the dance recital because you're working. People will fault you for what you did when you all's relationship were on a break. I mean, humans can find so many ways. We are a punishing people. We are not satisfied until the hurt that we feel inside is externalized outside of us in excess to where we can see other people going through pain. Sometimes short of death, it's not enough, but it keeps us from living. It does, because all of this, all of this is wrapped up in a fantasy of the way that we thought things would be. Sometimes we overestimate how well we know ourselves. Sometimes when we hurt people in ways we did not even know we could, we begin to discover what we are capable of. And this should not make us self-loathing because it's childish to see the harm you can do with your own hands and begin to think yourself a monster because that's the way a child sees the world through the idea of angels and monsters. Instead, it should lead us to understand our own humanity to an even greater extent that we become more compassionate and more merciful people. That is the responsible path to take. To think in your mind, oh, what will I do next? That crossroad is such a disturbing, lifeless, loveless, and peaceless way to live. And even if you don't believe this of yourself, I believe you deserve better. We so easily find the worst in ourselves. The reason why we are so unworthy of love, it is just never ending list. Our character flaws, our lack of morale, our lack of education. We can always decide this is why I'm not ready yet. I can't jump in. I can't do the job. I can't execute the vision because I'm not enough. And I'm just saying for three seconds, rather than ruminating on all that goes wrong, the abundance of shortcoming and suffering of this life, to give yourself enough grace and for long enough to really try to live, just try. And in our first feeble attempts of just trying to find a way out of all the guilt and grit and of hustling and striving and trying to get over and get by and get on, we could achieve in ourselves some real love. And with that love, we could take up the task of loving others in a real way with open hearts and clear eyes and clean hands, love other people. And I don't have to tell you between now and the last time we were here together, how much suffering the world has seen. It'll make you wake up tired. There's enough bad that has occurred in the last month to last anyone a lifetime. There's enough hatred amongst men. There's enough incompetence in one singular local government, much less an entire executive branch of a nation, of this nation, to span an epoch. There is enough insecurity on a singular scrolling page of the internet to last an adolescence. Let us seek grace. Give yourself a little credit, cut yourself some slack. Do the best you can if you're trying. 
like I'm trying and we're trying and we're trudging forward and we're not looking for the easy way out of the hard questions. We're not looking for a quick and easy love against the backdrop of hard times. We are earning every drop of life we get. If you're doing that, don't you deserve a little grace? Dear Viv, what does loving yourself or self-love mean to you? On the day-to-day, -day, it oscillates and changes so much, and I have days like today where I wake up glowing and confident and healthy and strong, and I feel like I love myself. And then there are days when I wake up feeling lethargic and small and self-critical, but I still love myself on those days, and I think that the beginning of self-love is the end of self-betrayal. I think that I knew I didn't love myself when I was younger because I was so consistently betraying my sense of integrity, my sense of what was right, my deepest intuitions, my bodily inclinations. And, and you know, I actually don't believe when it comes down to it, self-love is necessarily a thing of the mind or a thing of the heart as much as it is a thing of the gut. I feel like the voice in my head that is constantly telling me what I'm not and what I can't do and who I can't be. And then my heart, which leads me astray and often lays me on the train track to die for another. Both of those things, they betray me so often, but there's this gut feeling, this instinct. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is what I need. This is who I really am. It's when I started listening to that thing that was so deep inside of myself, beyond the surface of the day-to-day -day grinding and trying to survive. I think that's where I love myself. That's where I hold myself because my heart keeps me in the past, keeps me thinking about what went wrong with old lovers and ex-best friends. And then there's this thing in my head that's constantly in the future. How are things going to be? What if things don't work out? How am I going to put them together? Will I fall short? And I think that being in a state of the hurt of the past or the anxiety of the future, it's a constant state of compromise. It's difficult to be satisfied and present with who I truly am. And when you're in a state of compromise, you can't love yourself. For me, respect for my own intuition. Self-love is a state of self-qualification where you say, I've lived enough to know, or maybe I haven't yet lived enough to understand, but what this internal compass is telling me, I believe her and I respect her voice. And the act of self-love after it begins in that acknowledgement and affirmation of your own intuition i think really the audacity of self-love that i'm only just beginning to experience and scratch the surface of now is to say let me give that person room in the world let me give that person room in the world let me give her a chance to really be and live even if it makes other people uncomfortable even if it makes me uncomfortable 
I realized I was so concerned and felt my duty and my responsibility in this world to love others was held so deeply that I didn't realize that amongst that purpose and that duty and that thing that I go out to war for and struggle for every day that I still have to live my life. I still have to be 25. I still have to be present with myself, I still have to give her room to live. I have to give her room to laugh and to grow up and to experience life. It's why self-love takes such a courage and a lot of people don't have it because to love yourself is to lead from the self, to lead from the self, to say this voice that I have, this nagging inside of me, this thing that is connected to a higher power and a deeper sense of responsibility, it will take you so far away from where you would have gone otherwise you wouldn't believe it'll keep you out of a lot of people's beds it'll keep you off of a lot of people's minds it'll take you out of a lot of circumstances and environments that you might have felt comfortable in it will lead you away from that and sometimes that voice that love feels like it's leading you to nowhere at all to a desert or a void to a loneliness and I have suffered loneliness because the extent to which I love myself. Because when I didn't love myself and I was looking for something outside of myself and I was searching for wholeness outside of myself, it led me to so many difficult situations and adventures. I lived between a rock and a hard place and I thought it interesting and I was curious about pain and I was trying to see how deep the rabbit hole went because I didn't respect that voice. I said, what does she know about life? What does she know about love? And it was because I had been taught that this notion of self-love was so mired and entangled with the notion of self-confidence. And I think that's where a lot of people go astray because they're looking for confidence. And they tell you that self-love means to look in the mirror and say, I like your face, to be in the shower and love your body. To be honest, my body has been the last frontier of self-love. It has been the last battle, the last struggle of a long fight that began in a place deep inside my soul. It's actually the last thing that when I finally have been conquering it and sitting with myself and sitting with my body and sitting with my mind lately, I said, this is the last battle we truly have in this self-love thing. But it's because the other battles that I fought in acknowledging my own intuition, respecting my own mind, affirming my own choices, not living in a state of double-mindedness, not living in a state of being constantly under the influence of the perceptions and requests and desires of other people. That was the building block. Those were the the small and deep and hard battles that I fought to get to that ultimate battle of, okay, how do you feel when you step outside your perception of how you look? And to be honest, this is now a very easy battle for me to go through having fought those other ones. People try to contend with the way that they look, which is a battle oftentimes between you and the world. And then when they can't figure it out, they say, you know what? I've just resolved to hate myself. You will be contending with the way that you look until you die because the way that you look is constantly going to change. I've seen my mother have to contend with 
being a woman who is now aging, when your metabolism slows down or parts of you begin to sag, after childbirth, after menopause, someone in the later stages of your life, all of those are different chapters in which women have to contend with this question of self-love. So you might as well get comfortable in that question and that journey because it's lifelong. But these deeper questions, am I worthy? Am I good? Who am I really? Those were the questions that when I started to ask them and silence all of the voices that were so complicit in my self-betrayal, in my self-belittlement, I was somebody that was very afraid for a long time of the potential of my own authority. Why? Because it isolated me from others. I'll give you an example. I was in the seventh grade. I tried out for the cheerleading team. I had never been a cheerleader. I had been a dancer, I had been on the step team, I had never cheerleaded in my life. I was a cheerleader. Come about third or fourth week into cheerleading, I was named cheerleading captain. And there were girls that they were way better gymnasts than me and stronger tumblers and really just super athletes. But my coach came up to me and she said, but you're a leader. And being a captain is about being a leader. What did that mean? That meant that I was responsible for making sure that everyone was in formation and at practice on time and making sure that they weren't hanging back with the basketball or the football players when it was time for the bus to leave. And in the end, I didn't get invited to one cheerleading sleepover the entire year. I was the captain but I was never invited to a single sleepover. And I remember feeling this sense of separateness. And I thought, if you lean into who you really are, you will be punished for it. I believe that from a young age, because you can't form a line if you're too scared to stand alone. And so for years, I betrayed that intuition that said, trudge forward, lead. I wanted friends. I wanted lovers. So I diminished that internal voice and I told her, be quiet, sit back. And for a long time, she let me go out in the world and live, live smaller than who I really am. Let me apologize for the way that I look or the space that I took up. I was raised with two sisters and the way that we were raised by our parents was in a constant sense of comparison and competition. It got to the point where when I was in college, many of you don't know this about me, but I sing, I love to sing. I've written so many songs. I love to sing, I love to perform. I love to dance. I've loved just the art of music. But my sister, my eldest sister, Crystal, she's a wonderful singer and she was a quiet child. So when we found out she could really sing, I mean, blow you away, sing, we wanted to encourage and platform and lift that up to such an extent that when I started to sing when I was 18 years old, when I began to write music, when I began to perform, when I first moved to New York, it became a real subject of contention within my family. And they wanted to stifle that to such an extent. By the time I was 21, 22 years old, and I would go out somewhere and I would sing casually, karaoke with friends, you know, a gig as a favor for somebody. They would say to me, strangers, they would say, wow, you can really sing. And my first response was, oh no, but you should hear my sister. And I would look, I would grab for my phone so I could play my sister's music because that's how afraid, that's how much my own sense of self had been diminished. And it's so hard once you've been boxed into that, when you get okay with saying, not me, not me, not me, 
I'll give you an even more recent example. I was on the shoot of my first pilot for my television show in which my name, the show says created by Bianca Vivion, starring Bianca Vivion. I mean, my name is everywhere on the slate, on the dressing room, on the door, on the script, every single place. And yet when it came time to shoot glam shots with me and my guests, they kept saying, Bianca, stand in the middle, stand in the middle. I said, no, no, the guest should stand in the middle. And so I'm looking back at all of these shots that I have of us, and even though it's my show, I would put who I perceive the star to be in the middle, but I'm at this crossroads, this impasse of my life where this mindset doesn't serve me anymore. I said, no, if you're going to love yourself, then you're going to have to stop apologizing for who you know yourself to be, even if that audacity, that larger than lifeness that I've been punished for, it seems, since the beginning, even if it means betraying an old and tired belief system of what it meant to be humble, because when I was younger, I was always accused of having this arrogance or this high sense of self, and I became so afraid of isolating myself or having others think that I thought that I was all that and so I shrunk myself a lot I told myself I'll just stay in this lane I'll just walk this very thin line between pride and humility this very thin line between love and isolated this very thin line of what people desire for me and what I desire for myself and it was a struggle and it was a war and I knew that I wasn't fighting correctly when I realized that I was winning in the eyes of everyone else, but deep inside myself, it felt like I was losing ground. And so now I'm learning that self-love is to lead with the self, with the intuition that says, I know what I'm doing. I know who I am and she's okay with me. And if she walks in and shines brightly, some people, will embrace the light and some people will feel blinded by it and that's okay. And if I preserve parts of myself for myself and don't answer the phone all the time, that's okay. And if I wanna sing and I have a song inside me, it deserves room in the world and that's good. And the more that I realize that this self-love thing of being really true to the self, to thine own self be true, it's to the benefit of everyone around me. Why? Because we need more of what is real. You can spend your whole life trying to be someone else, but you rob the world of who you really are and what you can really do. I heard somewhere that to love is to cease lying. And that's where it begins with the self. To say, this is what I really want. I had to recently tell somebody that I had been in on and off, on and off romantically with for years, I tell him straight up, I said, I'm not the one. I don't desire you romantically and we can't be friends. And it seems harsh and it felt harsh to say it, so blatant, but in reality, it was the truth. And anything that can be destroyed by the truth should be destroyed by the truth because we need more of what's real because we live in a world in which lies are surmounting and surmounting and they're making their way materializing into policy, which is constricting and choking the lives of young women and young men in this country every single day. 
because so many people fear the truth to such an extent because they feel like it might stifle their success or they feel like it might make them uncomfortable because that's what the truth does. I felt like loving myself was going to mean keeping myself from a whole lot of people that I believed I love. And sometimes in this war, life makes you choose. It's gonna be me or you. I had to start choosing me. I started taking that thing inside me, this nagging feeling, who are you really? And holding that. And to say, I'm willing to engage you with a loving and romantic curiosity. And baby, it takes courage. It takes courage. Self-love is to lead with the self. And today on my mind are the words of my cheerleading coach in the seventh grade who took me behind those bleachers and looked into my sad 12-year-old eyes and she said to me, be a leader. I'm asking you to be a leader. Those words, that's that voice really deep within me today. That's the person that loves me inside of me is that voice that's saying, be a leader, create what is on your heart, tell the truth, say what you truly believe and feel. Be kind and generous, but not at the sake of yourself. Don't martyr yourself for the cause of another. Believe you are someone worthy of life. And it began with that journey deep within, and it's making its way to my fingers and lips and thighs and head and knees and toes to say, this is a body of a woman who is living a real life. And I love that for her. She is living a real life for herself and I love that for her. Thank you for carrying that person that I love through the world. Because self-love, when it's all said and done, if you really loved yourself, it's a gratitude for living, saying thank you self for carrying me through this life through these wars, into this dream. Thank you, thank you, thank you for every day you kept us breathing and singing and, and hungering and thirsting and dancing and loving and embracing and fighting. Thank you for fighting for me. Self-love is a love letter that says, thank you for fighting for me. Someone who felt there was at times no one in the world who was taking her side. No one in the world that desired to hear her poems or her letters or her songs. When there was no reader or no audience, when there was no lover in my bed, when I didn't have that hand to hold or that soft parental voice to say, good job, I'm proud of you. I found something in myself that said, I will be here for you against all odds and I will not stand against you ever. All my life I've warred and in that war I was looking for someone to take my side. Who would have known I would have found that person in myself? And who would have known that that's where it finally felt like the war was subsiding when at least I'm on my own side. She and I will be on one accord and I will not stand against her. That is self-love. That is wholeness. And that is available and possible to each and every single one of you 
who strives for it. That's all I have for today. I wish you love. I ask for every good thought, sincerity, and prayer that you have for this summer of shooting. <laughs> so that when it finally comes to you this fall, I hope that you can see this labor, this labor of love that I am calling generational anxiety. I hope that you are holding close to the things that truly make you smile these days because it's so critical and important. And I pray not too much time will pass between now and the next time we speak to one another. But just know I am thinking of you always and holding the highest of hopes in my heart that it gets better because it does. I say, life, you told me it gets better. So every day I wake up and say, show me how it gets better. Now I'm looking for it. Now I'm looking for the promise. But I think for the first time in my life, I'm not looking beyond me. If there's heartbreak, let it happen. If people fall short of their word, if they perceive me beyond my own capacity, so be it. If I have to play the underdog and they underestimate me day in and day out, so be it. But the good in life, I'm looking for it in my own hands. I said the other day, I was looking for love. I said, where did all the love in the world go? And I found it in my own hands. That way, if the world falls apart like it is, if love falls short as it too often does, if the check doesn't cash on time and this whole life is a day late and dollar short, as the old folks used to say, I'll give grace and I'll be okay. Wherever you are in that journey, let it all work out. I wish you more life, more love, abundant life infinite love. I'm Bianca Vivion, and if you ever need anything at all, you can always ask Viv. Welcome to your life. There's no
Oh